episode 102 the shock shock mix podcast on the posting and toasting podcast network sean st Jacques back here with you for another week of Knicks and nba talk little housekeeping before we start we'll get to the nba playoffs we'll get to the Knicks offseason things we could be looking forward to probably going to save the draft for another week or two i don't want to fully dive in yet we've already done some bits and pieces of that i know you guys love when we talk draft on this show but i i want to save that for when we have more time for it we don't have a ton of time for that this week because we do have some stories to go over with the knicks off season already even though the nba season is not over we'll start with that we'll get to some nba playoff talk as always later on in the show New digs for me, so hopefully better acoustics than we've had the last uh, few weeks. I listened back to a couple of the shows. They weren't as good as we normally like it around here. I was in a different uh, home the last few weeks, but now I'm in my permanent home down here in Florida while I'm staying down here. I'm hoping that means better audio quality, so I apologize if the quality wasn't as good as it normally is on the show. We just had to deal with the certain situation down here as far as my uh, place of living but now that's all settled and hopefully it's only gonna go up from here it sounded good when i tested it earlier so we're hoping that that stays the same so we get apologies for that but we're looking forward to what's to come in general all right again we'll talk nba playoffs later on in the show we'll get to the knicks first as we like to do around here but first actually before we even get to that Right, We're going to talk about where the Knicks stand going into the offseason. Already some news on some potential targets for the Knicks. Some look pretty good and maybe realistic. Others, maybe a pipe dream. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, after I've been campaigning for this man since, geez, January? February? Somewhere around there. For this man to be the NBA coach of the year. He's only gone and done it. Tom Thibodeau is the 2020-2021 NBA coach of the year. Second time, by the way, that Tom Thibodeau's won coach of the year. The last time he did it was 10 years ago as the coach of those really good Chicago Bulls teams in the early 2010s with Derrick Rose and company. Joe Kim Noah in his prime. It was a really good squad. He won coach of the year, and he's only gone and done it again. Ten years apart, NBA coach of the year. He edged out Monty Williams, the head coach of the Phoenix Suns, by 11 points in the final voting, and the Utah Jazz head coach, Quinn Snyder, finished third. This is a big deal. This is a big deal because, obviously, Julius Randle gets most improved player. He finishes eighth in the MVP voting. By the way, Derrick Rose got one first place vote in the MVP voting. I mean, good for him. <laughs> I'm not going to complain, but it is a little odd. Uh, but again, he was so huge down the stretch for the Knicks in the regular season and obviously at times was our best player in the playoffs. We'll talk about his future in a little bit as well. But just fantastic to see this award given to Tom Thibodeau. He more than deserves it. I, again, I, I think Monty Williams deserved it. You know, I think Quinn Snyder, to a degree, had a case. But I think when you look at the full body of work and when you look at where the teams were a year ago, it, it there's no contest for me. 
and again, that's a biased opinion. You could make an argument of that. But I don't think it is when you look at really where the Knicks were compared to where the Suns were. The Suns were kind of a piece away, it felt like. They got that piece in Chris Paul. Maybe they didn't, no one thought they'd get the two seed. I certainly did not. But I, I think when you look at the full body of work that Tom Thibodeau did during the offseason, the way he's developed R.J. Barrett, the way he, he took Julius Randle's game to the next level, the culture he provided that guys like Nerlens Noel could flourish despite a Mitchell Robinson injury and Reggie Bullock and Alec Burks and Emmanuel quickly could become huge pieces to a Knicks team potentially that's going to be even better next season depending on some of the moves they make during the offseason it's it's a big deal and I think that he had to do a lot more work to get the Knicks to where they were than Monty Williams did. And that doesn't take any, that, you know, don't take anything away from what Monty Williams did. But I think from where the Knicks were, 21 wins a season ago to the fourth seed in the East and getting their first playoff win in eight years, I, I think you've got to give Tom Thibodeau the nod. And luckily, he was given the nod. And listen, Monty Williams gets his, his, his coach of the year award from his peers. Fair enough. But, but I think that Tom Thibodeau deserved the NBA Coach of the Year award, and he gets it. So I couldn't be more happy for him. I've been you know, kind of campaigning for him on this show for months now, almost half a year, for him to get this award. He's just It's been him, it feels like, for me since the halfway mark of the season. He's only gone and paid it off, and it's a really nice trophy for the Knicks to put in their cabinet. In a, in a season where you know they made us believe again, I think that's the, the first and foremost, that's the biggest thing, but they had regular season success. Now next year the plan is to have more postseason success. Despite they did get a win in the postseason, it's better than getting swept, but obviously you want to take a step forward in the right direction and start winning playoff series next year. And who would have thought that was the conversation after the end of, by the way, Tom Thibodeau's first year in charge. I think people are already forgetting that. That was his first year in charge. He gets coach of the year, gets the Knicks to the playoffs, gets Julius Randle a most improved player award, develops the young guys, and it's going up and up from here. It's, it's, it's a hell of a job. I think that's, that's another thing to consider as well. Tom Thibodeau was in his first year, gets, gets coach of the year. That shows you how good of a job he's done this season. So again, couldn't be happier, thoroughly deserved, and despite, you know, the, the exit from the playoffs, a more than successful season for him in his first year in charge of the Knicks. No question about that. Great to see, by the way, as well, it kind of became a footnote. Julius Randle, top 10 in the MVP, gets eighth place in the MVP voting. I, I think you maybe could make the argument he could have been a notch or two higher, but that's a great sign as well. And again, Derrick Rose... Gets a first place vote. Uh, fair enough. I'm not going to argue with that. I, I'm not going to go, uh, you know, up in arms over that vote could have gone to somebody else. Listen, Nikola Jokic wins the MVP. That vote wouldn't have changed anything. Fair enough. You know, I, I, I think if you thought that Derrick Rose, you know, was that big of a part of the team, fair enough. Does he deserve a first place vote? I mean, gun to my head, probably not. But I think he was valuable as valuable as you could be to a young Knicks team towards the end of the regular season and in the playoffs.
So I'm glad he got some recognition for that because at age 32, he deserves that. So I, I think it's a very cool thing to see all these Knicks players getting you know, Knicks and the Knicks coach getting these accolades towards the end of the season. It's been a long time since we've had anything like that to hang our hat on after the end of an NBA season. So that's a very big deal. Huge kudos to the entire Knicks organization. I didn't think I'd be saying that at the end of this season either. If we were talking preseason, I had no idea what it was going to look like. I'm so happy that we got more than we expected with this season's Knicks team. I think after having a few weeks to kind of digest how the Knicks went out, although it's, you know, the Hawks are still in, the playoffs are still going, things of that nature. It's still, you know, it's just a a nice thing to go into an offseason feeling positive about the Knicks, happy with the trajectory of of the franchise as a whole, and that this team should be getting even better next year and could really make some noise next year, possibly even in the playoffs. It's a very cool thing to see moving forward for this Knicks organization. After last year, we had two head coaches that were incompetent, and we had no idea where we were going. And the biggest debate is whether or not Frank Nilakina should get minutes. And the way, the way that Tom Thibodeau's come in and just turned it around, it, just, it felt right as soon as his name came up in conversations with the Knicks. He was a Knicks fan growing up. He loves this franchise. He's a hell of a coach. It just felt perfect. And after year one, it's lived up to the billing. So it's a very cool thing. Another tip in my cap to Tibbs. He's deserved it, and it's he's worth you know celebrating during this offseason. And then obviously he'll be going back to work right away to try to build this team with Leon Rose, Scott Perry, World Wide West, I guess, and company to move this thing further and further into the right direction, hopefully lead to playoff success going into 2021-2022. All right, a little more Knicks news here that's worth talking about. Speaking of the offseason... Listen, Knicks are going to have some money to spend if they want to. Potentially $70 million of cap space will be available for the Knicks to work with during the offseason. Obviously, part of that money could go to a new deal for Julius Randle, uh, who could get an extension onto his contract. Obviously, you look at uh, at the moment, he's I think he's due almost $20 million for next year already. Um, the Knicks have a team option on Mitchell Robinson for almost $2 million as well. Um, you know, listen, then the other thing the Knicks will have to deal with uh, also uh, is some unrestricted free agents. Derek Rose, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Reggie Bullock, Alfred Payton. You know, these are, I think, combined. Um, well, not combined. I, I think Alfred Payton started... 63 games during the regular season. Obviously, didn't play a lot towards the end of the Hawks series um, due to, you know, bad play, inconsistency. And that's been the biggest problem with Alfred Payton being in the starting lineup. He doesn't always give you good minutes there. And then you're kind of have to, you're forced to go to Derrick Rose. In that series, it was just calling out for Derrick Rose to get more minutes and almost as a, at a necessity. And that's what Tom Thibodeau ended up having to do. So listen, there's going to be decisions right away with the current roster. Guys that need to, you know, that you know, that Tom Thibodeau and company are going to have to make tough decisions on. I think Alfred Payton might be on the chopping block here. 
You know, I think you look at hopefully bringing back Derrick Rose. Alec Burks, I think, proved himself to be valuable, especially in the playoffs. Nerlens Noel, I think, needs to be brought back. I think he fits the Knicks' DNA extremely well. I think Reggie Bullock, you need, you know, you need shooting on this team. I think he proved himself worthy of getting a new contract as well. So, you know, listen, we'll have to see what the Knicks decide to do. If there's better options out there, the Knicks will have to explore that, and they will. And we'll talk about a few that they're already looking at reportedly at the moment but again we mentioned it the Knicks can offer Julius Randle a four-year 106 million dollar extension and he's already get you know he's due to get paid almost 20 million next season already so we'll see what the Knicks decide to do with that I I think he's probably earned that contract um, but we'll have to see you know again the Knicks will have to balance the books they'll have to see what else is out there and you know make a decision but for now I think you would you have to seriously consider giving Julius Randle that contract. He's been fantastic this season. I think under Tom Thibodeau, he could get even better next season. Obviously, you're 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 looking for him to possibly expand his game and get better in the playoffs as well. And obviously, bringing in other pieces could be a big key to that potentially as well. We'll have to see how that goes. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson's an option that you know will be interesting as well. It'll be, it'll be one that the Knicks will have to think hard about going into next season. I think a healthy Mitchell Robinson makes an impact in the playoffs, but we'll have to see how that goes moving forward as well. Now, when you look at you know where the Knicks need to add, right? I think the first thing, and, and you know, I, I definitely isn't, it wasn't solved this year. It was kind of bandaged over a little bit, but it, it bandaged over better than it's been in recent years. That's for sure. But again, the point guard position needs to be addressed. I, I don't think Frank Nilakina can be relied on. I think Alfred Payton's probably going to be gone if push comes to shove this offseason. I think rightfully so. But I think when you look at Derrick Rose, he's 32. I think you bring him back, but you can't expect him to run the offense for all the games. You know, again, we saw in the playoffs, you know, he he had to go through a lot of energy. To, to really be the number one ball handler for the Knicks. I think there's a reason that Tom Thibodeau brought him off the bench, and it's obviously to manage his minutes. So I, I think when you look at re-signing him, that comes with the caveat of bringing in a more ball-dominant guard. And there's a ton out there. There's a ton out there, especially with what the Knicks have for cap space. Kyle Lowry's out there, and reportedly, according to Ian Begley, the Knicks have already looked into him as possibly an option for next season. Obviously, the Knicks have been linked with Lonzo Ball, who's a restricted free agent during the offseason. Chris Paul's name's been floated around a little bit. Mm, Don't hold your breath. He's found a nice home. If they get to the finals, I don't know. I don't know if he leaves that. Yeah, and and then obviously some other options. Mike Connolly potentially is out there as well. Dennis Schroeder from the Lakers has been a name that's already been thrown out there a little bit. And then obviously, you know, a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who could be, you know, a a risky one with some injury history there. We'll have to see. But then obviously, you know, you look further into the backcourt, DeMar DeRozan at at the two guard position, Norman Powell, maybe, maybe not good shooter. Kelly Oubre Jr. is already linked to some other teams around the NBA. So he might not be on the Knicks' radar. So there's, you know, again, backcourt options the Knicks could potentially look at to bolster that position. It's really the biggest area of need. And it's been that way probably for almost a decade now for this Knicks team. They kind of papered over the cracks 
this past season because of that great defensive intensity, the way that Derrick Rose was able to bolster his game off the bench a lot this season, and the emergence of Emmanuel quickly with Alfred Payton giving you a good game every now and then. So they, the Knicks figured it out this year, and, and they were able to overachieve because of that. But you, you need a star in that position, I think, to take this Knicks team to the next level. Maybe Lowry's that guy. You know, Obviously, when you look more ambitiously, maybe a Damian Lillard. Maybe he's getting a little tired of, of the Trailblazers. Maybe you give him a call, see what you can do. You know, there's... there's there's more realistic options out there now. You know, if, we, if, if two years ago you're, you're telling me that Damian Lillard is thinking of coming to the Knicks, forget the contract situation, obviously, but you look at that and you're thinking, no way. Come on. It's just not happening. And you're thinking even at the end of the contract, it's not happening at that point in time. Now you're looking at it and it's not far-fetched. It's really not. You know, and obviously the biggest, when you're looking at this offseason, the biggest fish in the sea could potentially be Kawhi Leonard, would the Knicks potentially, you know, throw the kitchen sink at it or try to get into New York if things don't work out in L.A.? It's more realistic than it's been in years past. That's for sure. It's more realistic than it's been because the Knicks are good. They're a contender now. They've got the coach who, who warrants respect. He's the coach of the year in the NBA. You've got the most improved player. You've got a young core. You've got a defensive backing on this team, a good spine. Good foundation and a good culture. These are options that are out there now that are legitimate. Not saying they're going to happen, but they need to be talked about because the Knicks are legit now. The Knicks are a contender and they are to be trifled with. I should say they are not to be trifled with. It's the latter. Can't mess with them now. They are legitimate in the NBA and they will get even more legitimate if they grab one of those names. I just mentioned. And listen, on top of that, you know, I can't dive too much into it because I really want to spend a full show on this because you guys love it and I love talking about it. I can really, you know, dive a little bit deeper into it with more time. But then obviously the Knicks in the draft have a lot of options. You know, there's guys in the draft. You know, again, the Knicks could trade up in the draft. That's a possibility. But also you look at where the Knicks could be as far as prospects for where they're at at the moment. And there's some good stuff. There is some good stuff for the Knicks to look at in those positions. Again, you know, the Knicks hit on quickly. They've hit on Barrett. Mitchell Robinson, despite injury problems, has worked out. You know, again, the other thing is Kevin Knox, right? When you look at the young core, didn't really fall in line with Thibodeau. What does his offseason look like? Is he involved in a trade where the Knicks move up at the draft? Those are the kind of decisions that Leon Rose and company are going to have to look into, right? Because Kevin Knox has not done his job, right? He's not been as big of a part of this team as we expected him to be at this point. And again, you're now looking at what Obi Toppin could look like in year two. And he started to come on a little bit towards the end of the season and a little bit in the playoffs. You're starting to look at what this team looks like going forward. I'm not sure Kevin Knox is a part of it because of what you could potentially get for him and what you could potentially fill his shoes with. So I, that's going to be another decision to look at during the offseason. Guys like Knox, Nilakina, you know, those fringe guys where you look and you're not so sure how that's going to be moving forward. So we'll see. But, but most of it's positive, man. Most of it's very positive moving forward for the Knicks. 
and it'll be very interesting to see what they do in the draft, what they do in free agency, possibly a trade or two in the draft or during the offseason, and all the other options to use that cap space and, and all the other options that are at the disposal of the Knicks front office to improve this team going into next season. I'll take a break here when we come back. Look at the NBA playoffs. It's getting good. Out West and in the East, can the Hawks stun the Sixers? A lot of good stuff going on. We'll talk about it coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. All right, NBA playoffs. All right, this is getting it's getting juicy. It's getting very juicy. Obviously, a couple of games that we're going to look at will have been completed, so you know the result of them by the time the podcast goes out on the Friday morning, as always. Can't always, you know, get it right with the scheduling, especially when the games are coming thick and fast. But we're still going to break it down anyway. Obviously, we're into the conference semifinals, and it's getting good. The matchups have been pretty solid. We've had some duds, obviously, had the crazy Game 7 between the Mavs and the Clippers that was followed up by an amazing Game 1 between the Jazz and the Clippers as well. Suns are in complete control over the Nuggets after a 123-98 win in Game 2. Phoenix is up two games to none with a crucial Game 3 coming up. Obviously, that is a potential game-changer in the series. If the Nuggets can get back in it, they're going to need that game. You'll know the result of Game 3 between the Bucks and the Nets. That is a oh, a massive game for the future of Giannis with the Bucks. it feels like. I, I didn't expect the Nets to, to roll the Bucks over like they did in Games 1 and 2. I, I thought the, I thought the Bucs could possibly steal one in Brooklyn, and especially with James Harden not being available for the two games. I thought it was going to be much more competitive than that. It, it was a disappointing watch yeah, from a Bucks perspective. I, th- I think they really let it go. Uh, middle of game one, they kind of took their their hand. You know, they 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 didn't keep pulling the rope, as they say, right? They they didn't keep their hands on the rope, and they let the rope go, and the Nets easily dragged them across the line in the end and, and rolled them over in game one, and then pretty similar story in game two and, and I was a little surprised that the Bucks defensively have had it have not been able to at least slow down Kyrie and Kevin Durant without James Harden in there I, I thought it would be a more difficult thing but to the Nets credit they've been doing this all season right I mean they have not been together because of injuries for most of the year it's been Harden and Kyrie or KD and Harden and KD and Kyrie or Kyrie and Harden without KD like you know I think I named that twice, but you know what I mean? Like every, you know, few games they've had to, you know, another guy's gotten rest or another guy's gotten hurt. And it's, you know, they've kept winning, you know, to be fair, they have that much talent on this team. Blake Griffin's emerged this season for Brooklyn is a really nice fourth option for them and dangerous down low. He looks like the old Blake Griffin. So the Nets look dangerous. They look like the favorites right now in the East with the way things are looking in Philly right now. Obviously, the Hawks stunned the Sixers without Embiid in Game 1. Sixers recovered with Embiid in Game 2. I'll say this. If Embiid's healthy, this should be a quick series. I I would have said that even if the Knicks had made it through there. I think if Embiid's healthy, they're the best team. I I really do think that. But if the Hawks... 
again, there's two more games in Atlanta upcoming. And if it, if the Sixers get one, obviously we'll go, we'll see a game six, but it's, or I should say, if the, obviously if the Hawks get one, bare minimum, we're going to see a game six in this series. But it's one of those things where Embiid's health is going to really factor in. It's going to be a massive, massive proponent as to how that series finishes. We saw it with the Lakers and the Suns. Anthony Davis not at 100%. I thought the Lakers would still give the Suns trouble, and they just got whamboozled out of the playoffs in the first round. The Suns put it on him. Chris Paul looks healthy. He's ready to go. He's key. He keeps saying he's back every time he hits a big shot. Suns look dangerous in the West at the moment. They've really, really made life difficult on the Denver Nuggets. And you know, I thought, I thought again, after game one, Denver had the lead for most of it. And then the Suns kind of put him away late in the third, early in the fourth. And that was that. But the Suns, I mean, convincingly in game two, I mean, they look they look really tough to beat. Devin Booker is on fire. DeAndre Ayton has turned into a man in these NBA playoffs, and Chris Paul has gotten back to those Chris Paul ways. And goodness, I mean that that's going to be a huge game three. I feel like that that this this game probably decides the series. Obviously, if the Suns win, no one's come back from a three zero deficit. But if Denver can get one here. I could see them getting game four as well, potentially. And then, then it's any one series going back to Phoenix. So this is a big game, obviously. A season-defining game for the Nuggets. And we'll see if Phoenix can maybe get an early shot at, at, at closing this thing out. We'll have to see how that series goes. But despite that, you know, Jokic wins the MVP. No Jamal Murray has definitely hurt the Nuggets in a series like this. But got to give Phoenix a lot of credit. They've been playing out of their minds in the first two games. And if they keep playing like that, I'm not sure anybody beats them. It's going to be a really interesting finish to that series, depending on how long it goes. So, But obviously the best series so far, and it's only been one game, but the game was amazing. Jazz Clippers, I, I, what a game one that was. Clippers, you know, looked like they were going to roll Utah over in the first half. It, it, it was silent in Salt Lake City. For a long, long time. And then Donovan Mitchell just couldn't miss in the third. It was incredible. Uh, from behind the arc, getting into the, getting inside, taking contact. And then you couldn't hear yourself think in Salt Lake City in the third quarter. That run was incredible. They went on to take the lead. They went on to win it. Despite, you know, again, looked like they put the Clippers away with about a minute to go. I think it was a 10-point game. The Clippers got it back to one possession had a chance to tie it at the buzzer. Rudy Gobert blocks the shot from Morris in the corner to seal game one. Right in front of Dwayne Wade, who's a part owner of the Utah Jazz. It was cool to see him talking to Donovan Mitchell during the game, kind of giving him some words of wisdom. That was pretty cool. That, that was some cool stuff to look at watching the game on TV the other night. And obviously, you guys will know the result. We're gonna looking forward to watching it uh, on the Thursday, game two of the series. Feels like it's anyone's series right now. It really does. Even if Utah takes game two, it still feels like this series could go either way. Obviously, uh, Clippers have already come back from a 2-0 and a 3-2 deficit to knock out the Mavericks. Many think that that could be the the spark that gets the Clippers to a place they've never been before, which is a Western Conference Finals. But we'll have to see. The Jazz look up for it. Donovan Mitchell was unbelievable in game one, can he keep it up? 
And obviously, can Kawhi and Paul George finally rally the troops and make some history for the Clippers? They've had two chances in recent years to get to a conference finals, once under, actually both under Doc Rivers, once with the uh, Splash Brothers, geez, once with Lob City, and then obviously last year with Kawhi and PG, and both times they blew a 3-1 series lead, once to the Rockets and once to the Nuggets. Can they get past the Jazz and finally get the Clippers into a conference finals? 50-plus years of NBA basketball with the Clippers. They've never been to a Western Conference Finals, let alone an NBA Finals. Can they finally make history? They're going to have a tough test. I can't wait for this series to to mature, as they say. I'm really excited. Uh, This is probably, in my opinion, the best series left, and I can't wait to see how it unfolds. It's going to be a really fun uh, contest moving forward. Again, I picked the Jazz to win the title before the NBA playoffs began. I'm sticking with that pick. I think they've got as good a chance as anybody at going to the finals. I think the Nets are the favorites in the East right now by a, by quite a margin, especially if Joel Embiid is continuing to struggle with injuries. So it's going to be a really, really interesting series moving forward with the Clippers and the Jazz. And then obviously, can the Suns finish off the Nuggets? Then the, the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks, this is a, you know, a, a defining, a defining game for them. And obviously you guys don't know the result, but you brought in Drew Holiday to avoid things like this, right? I mean, this is <laughs> this was the situation. And listen, they're having a difficult time with the rotation at the moment. No Dante DiVincenzo the rest of the way this postseason, but that's no excuse. You've still got your big three with, with Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and of course, Drew Holiday in place. That, that, that effort was shocking in the first two games for me. I really was not expecting it to be that bad. And now their backs are against the wall. I mean, it, to be fair, those two games looked like the games against Miami in the bubble last season. It, it, it was kind of a hearkening back to that, where they just looked overmatched at times, the Bucks, They really did. And I think Giannis is going to really have to kind of take it upon himself to get going in game three early if the Bucks are going to get back into this series. Because listen, the Nets are that good. They just need one in Milwaukee to essentially end this series. I, I think if the Bucks drop a game at home, whether it's game three or four, I think this series is probably over. I, I don't think the Nets are going to blow a 3-1 lead. I, I don't see that happening. I definitely don't think they're going to blow a 3-0 lead. So I, I think the Nets are in pretty good shape if they get one in Milwaukee. I don't see the Bucks getting two in Brooklyn, which is going to be what they'll need if that happens. So we'll see. It's a huge game for the Bucks. Can they get it done? Obviously, you'll know the result. I, I'm really excited for it, but I, I, I'm going to need to see more from the Milwaukee Bucks shooting-wise. And then defensively, I think that probably has kept Mike Budenholzer up at night more than anything else. Defensively, they looked really poor in both of the first two games in different spurts where you're just thinking Brooklyn can do whatever they want. I mean, that that's what it felt like. Brooklyn could get any shot they want. It didn't matter who had the ball, where they moved it. They were going to get a good shot, and that's not acceptable this deep into the NBA playoffs when you're a team like the Bucks and you're expecting to possibly win this thing. So disappointing, and obviously the Bucks have a lot to think about going into Game 3. Can they pull that thing off? And then with the Sixers and the Hawks, again, I mentioned it earlier, Embiid's health is crucial but Trey Young's having a hell of a series. He's been fantastic again 
for the Hawks. So obviously, you know, he's continued his his massive form going into game three. Listen, game three is a huge game. The, the Sixers need it badly. They really do. Because this it's a kind of game that if the Hawks can win it, kind of like game three between the Knicks and the Hawks, it, it was a series changer, that game three. Hawks won it, and they didn't look back. Sixers, especially if Embiid's dealing with injuries, are in a similar position right now. A Game 3 loss could be extremely detrimental to their playoff hopes. It really could. You know, it's it's a team that, you know, has not been very far in the playoffs. They've not been to a conference finals. They've not been to an NBA finals. It, you know, the, you got to earn that. And, and I think that they are going to really need a big performance if they're going to go into Atlanta and win. I think Atlanta's got a 15-game, 14-15-game winning streak at home going back to the regular season. It's not going to be a gimme here that the Sixers are just going to go there and win two games and, and end this series. I, I really don't think so. I think this. I think it's much more likely that it goes 2-2 or 3-1 Atlanta, to be honest with you, because it, they're, they're playing extremely well at home at the moment. And they did what they had to do against Philly. They got a game. Very similar to the last series against the Knicks. And they were able to pull it out. So I, I think that, that that game three, out of all the game threes, might be the most decisive out of this uh, you know Eastern and Western Conference semifinals. I mean, that's probably what we're looking at at the moment. Listen, I still think the Sixers will win if Embiid's healthy. If he's not, it's a coin flip. It is a big coin flip. Because I, I could see the Hawks winning the series if Embiid's not fully healthy or is not able to play as much as he's expected to. I really think it's possible. I, I think that they've more than proven that they can handle themselves against the Sixers. So, ooh, that would really blow things up. And that would mean that the Bucks nets winner is a massive favorite in the Eastern Conference Finals. But again, that's looking way down the road. A lot to still be decided in that series. But for right now... Bucks are in trouble. Hawks are very much in it. Very exciting that that that, that series could potentially, who knows, go the distance. Especially depending on where Joel Embiid's health is at at the moment. But real quick, before we you know kind of wrap things up here, I do want to quickly dive into a little bit more because again, we've talked Nuggets, Suns, we've talked Bucks, Nets, Sixers, Hawks. We talked a little bit about this series a few moments ago, but I want to dive a little bit further deeper into it. You guys will know the Game 2 result by the time this podcast goes out, but this Jazz Clippers series has the chance to be special. It really does. After one game, it's already got that kind of a feel of a a potentially a really special six or seven game series that we we will remember for a long time already. It's, It's got that potential. I know it's only one game, We'll have to see how game two goes tonight. Again, you'll know how it goes when you listen to this, but it's got that kind of quality. Stars on both sides, really good teams that are cohesive. They've been playing together for a while now. They understand each other, especially with the team under Quinn Snyder in Utah. It's got a feel of a conference finals. It really does. It's got that kind of an aura about it, and both teams are really going to be up for it. I think if the Clippers get game two, it's a huge series turner for them. But 
the, the Clippers didn't exactly show that they could protect home floor against the Mavericks in the first round. The only time they won at home was the decisive game seven, fair enough. But the Jazz could easily go in there and, and make life tough on the Clippers in the Staples Center. One of the reasons I'm going to stick with the Jazz here is because of the coaches. I'm not exactly convinced that Tyron Lue, and it's not just because he didn't know what, what, how many timeouts there were in one of the games against Dallas. There's more to it than that. I I, I think that you know he's going to uh, listen. He's got to rely on his stars like he did when he won the championship with LeBron and Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. But also he's got to make sure that defensively they've got the same intensity. I mean, there's times. I mean, th- there was one timeout where. NBA, or NBA, TNT had an inside tracks where they had the mics on in a conversation that Donovan Mitchell was having in the huddle. And Donovan Mitchell said, listen, if we play like we're capable of playing and get up by a few points, they're just coming off of game seven. They're going to roll over. They're going to look ahead to game two. And that's what happened for a little bit in the fourth quarter. The Jazz got the lead up to 10. The Clippers looked out of it. To be fair, the Clippers fought back, but they had to make a couple of really tough shots that don't always go down to get back into that game and have a shot laid on to tie it. And of course, their late shot is rejected by Rudy Gobert on the three attempt from from Morris. So you can't rely on that. And again, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams of all time. I think the Clippers are fourth all-time in regular season three-point shooting percentage. So they're never going to be out of a game, statistically, right? But and talent-wise. However, the Jazz have that in their head, that the Clippers can roll over mentally in a game. So, that killer instinct looks to be on the Jazz side, not the Clippers side, which is a little bit surprising. If the Jazz can take advantage of their opportunities, I think they win this series. I really do. I think they're the better team. On paper, the Clippers are the better team. But I think when you look at it top to bottom, I think this Jazz team is a better team than this Clippers team. I really do. I certainly think they've got the better coach. I would take Quinn Snyder over Tyron Lue in a heartbeat. So I, I think at the moment, again, only one game in, two games in after you listen to this podcast, I think the Jazz, regardless, I think have the edge going to LA. I really do. I think they are going to be difficult to deal with if they keep playing the way they played especially in the second half of game one i'm really excited about that series man i I can't wait to watch game two we'll talk about that and and obviously the series developments next week as well that series has got the best potential to really go the distance and be an all-time classic 100 percent hoping the nuggets can get back into it making it a tough series with this with the suns i'd really like to see that could happen, although I think Phoenix could easily uh, potentially wrap the series up in Denver. We'll have to see. You know, We'll see if the Nuggets can fight back in this series. They've done it before. They've got the DNA. Can't count them out, that's for sure. But we'll have to see how it goes. And then obviously, looks like a coin flip right now. Philly and Atlanta, at the moment, series could go either way. Game three is going to be pivotal. And then obviously, it's do or die for the Bucks at home against Mil- uh, against the against the Nets in Milwaukee must win film for Milwaukee and potentially franchise defining game 
The Clippers had franchise-defining games in the first round. They passed with flying colors in the end. They fought off the Dallas Mavericks, a very good team. Now it's the Bucks' turn. Can they, can they do it? It's going to be interesting to see how that series develops as well. A lot of good stuff coming up in the NBA playoffs for sure. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Guys, thank you so much as always for watching. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you guys next week on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.